You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning. Welcome to Connection Church. My name is Sean Fox. I'm the communications director here at the church. How's everybody's Christmas? Come on. You guys can do better than that. Well, mine, uh, mine was eventful, to say the least, uh, and it was, it was fun. Um, so this morning, we're going to jump in pretty quick uh, to what we're going to be talking about today. This morning, we're going to be talking about three different types of people that are here present in this room. We're going to be talking about frauds, we're going to be talking about fans, we're going to be talking about followers of Jesus. My hope... And my prayer is that this morning, that wherever you lie on that spectrum, that you would examine your heart and you would test it against the scriptures that we're going to read today. My hope is that all of us would see the goodness of Jesus and that we would want to be more like him and that we would then take the steps to do that. And so I'm going to pray real quick and we're going to jump in to today's message. God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for, God, the amazing sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. God, I can't, I can't fathom what that would be like and, and to, to selflessly give up my life for thousands and millions and billions of people. God, and especially those who would turn their nose up and seek out their own selfish ways or uh, whatever, God, I can't, I can't imagine that. But I thank you that you could and that you did. Jesus, I ask that this morning, Father, that the words that come out of my mouth would be straight from you, God, and that the scripture would pierce our hearts. God, it would awaken our spirits. God, it would cause us to want to be more like you, Father. I pray that not a person who sits in this auditorium would walk out of here not wanting to be more like Jesus. God, I pray, uh, God, for the the people in this room, um, God, again, that that you would just soften their hearts, God, and, and reveal to them the things that you've already revealed to me. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, I'm going to read. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John is a really tiny book. And it's located in the back of your Bible. It's the fifth from the end. It's kind of like, hope you like it. If you go too fast, you'll miss it. Chapter 2, verse 1. John says, my little children. Now, you guys aren't necessarily my little children. I have two Some of you are a lot bigger than they are, but I'm writing those things to you so that you may not sin. And so hear it today as I'm speaking these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. 
By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And we, I mentioned earlier we're going to talk about three different people. So the first, per, or first type of person I want to talk to this morning are the frauds. And there's two defining characteristics to frauds. And we see it in Matthew 23. So if you want to flip on over to Matthew 23 with me. We'll read that, and then we'll talk about those two defining characteristics. Matthew 23, verse 1 through 7. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move With their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. The two defining characteristics that we can find here for frauds are that they're selfish and they're arrogant. They're selfish in that they wanted everything that they did to be seen and they wanted it to be all about them their phylacteries were back in uh, Jewish times the Pharisees would walk around and they would have little boxes of scriptures placed on their arms and on their foreheads and normally they would be fairly small and in, in size something like that and they would maybe contain a scripture or two but these guys in Matthew 23 that Jesus was referring to, they would make their phylacteries large and big because they wanted to be seen. They wanted people to know that they knew the scriptures and that, uh, that their boxes were really big. I mean, that sounds weird, but then their fringes on their robes were really long. Typically they were blue, but they were really long. Why? Because they wanted to be seen. They wanted everything that they did and said to be about them. Jesus also refers to them uh, later in Matthew about how they said extravagantly long prayers in public places. Why? Because they wanted people to pay attention to them. And the thing that I want you to hear today is it, if you, that frauds aren't necessarily just those in leadership. The common folk were frauds as well. Flip over to Acts 5 with me. Well, Rita, you may have heard about uh, Ananias and Sapphira if you've been in church for a while. If not, then we're going to read it. If you have, we're going to read it again. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now listen to this. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, 
for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found that, and they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. So we can see from these two scriptures, one where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, and then two where Paul is talking about Ananias and Sapphira. God doesn't really take kindly to frauds. And we shouldn't either. So that's, that's kind of a biblical description of fraud, fraudulent Christianity. Maybe some of the fraudulent Christianity we're more familiar with may look like this. So for the ladies in the room, you'll typically see this fraudulent behavior on Facebook. You'll see a lot of the pictures that have scripture. They'll copy and paste the reading plans that they have maybe on their phone. And they'll post it on the scripture or post it on their Facebook timelines. But if you really get to know them, they're generally the first ones to gossip about somebody. And they'll do it in this way. Have you heard about this? Oh, we really should pray with them or pray about that and pray for them because, you know, that's just not right. Or maybe for the men, it looks like this. Your church attendance is fairly flawless. You've been to church for the past 30 years but you're cheating on your taxes. You're cheating on your wife. That's the kind of fraudulent behavior that we're talking about this morning. And my hope and my prayer and my plea is that you hear these words and that they soften your heart. Because Jesus doesn't take kindly to fraudulent Christianity. And I don't want that to be the thing that I don't want that to be where you stay. I want us in this room to constantly grow, to be more like Christ. But if some of these things resonate with you, I pray that you repent. And I pray that you turn towards Jesus and that your heart changes and then your behavior changes. This is how the frauds get it wrong. The frauds make everything about themselves which is the complete opposite of what Jesus did when he came. Jesus came as a baby, as we celebrated this past week, completely in in man form, completely helpless. For those of you who who are parents, you understand that that idea when you have a newborn, they're just just a little floppy alien. I mean, there's, there's nothing there. And they can't do anything for themselves. But Jesus didn't remain a baby. He grew up and became our Lord and our Savior. And that's what I want you guys to hear about this morning is our Lord and Savior. And I want it to be something that's challenging for you, that calls you into repentance so that you can then become more like Him. And subsequently, make disciples that love Him. They were arrogant. They thought that what they did earned their salvation. There were some 600 plus laws, some of them found in Leviticus, but throughout the Old Testament, there were 600 laws. And these people, these Pharisees and these scribes in in Matthew 23, 
it says that they would tie up heavy burdens and place them on people's shoulders. They would declare this law and say, you should follow this and you should do this and you need to sacrifice this and sacrifice that, but they themselves wouldn't lift a finger to do it. They were arrogant in that they thought that what they did made them right. The thing that I want you to hear today is that's called performance-based Christianity. And that's not what saves you. Your works don't save you. The performance trap is when you base your position in Christ on your performance. And when when you base your position in Christ on your performance, your ability to not sin, this is what you say to Jesus. Your sacrifice wasn't good enough. My actions are what earn my right to be your son or to be your daughter. That's sin. Because it takes everything that Jesus did on the cross and it says my way's better. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that your way is not better. Jesus's is. His sacrifice on the cross is far better than anything that we could do. It says in the Old Testament that our best is like filthy rags before God. We won't get into the details of what the filthy rag part meant because it's really gross. But I want you to hear that this morning, that there's not a soul on this planet that can do enough to get to Jesus. It's only by repenting and having faith and then confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord that you're saved. Now in this idea of your actions saving you, this performance-based mentality, this is what Jesus would have to say to you. And this is actually what he said to the Pharisees. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The thing that I want you to gather from that scripture is that even though these Pharisees said, Lord, Lord, they recognized who he was, but he didn't know them. Jesus is far more concerned with your motivation for what you do than just what you do. It's about heart transformation, not behavior modification. Why is this important? I'm going to read this to you. The Barna Group, a nationally recognized research group, conducted research to see where Christians landed on a scale of Pharisee, which is behavior modification only. This is about what you do and only that. Versus Jesus, which his emphasis is on your heart transformation, which is your motivation for why you do what, we, what you do. It said that 51% of professing Christians 
were identified through a series of 20 questions to possess pharisaical attitudes. What that means is that majority of professing Christians think that what they do is more important than why they do it. David Kinnaman, author of the book Unchristian, says this about this project. In the research for that book project, our team discovered that 84% of young non-Christians say they know a Christian personally, yet only 15% say the lifestyles of those believers are noticeably different in a good way. This new study helps to explain that gap. It is not surprising that believers miss the mark in terms of representing Jesus because transformation in Christ is so difficult and so rare. In particular, evangelicals seem to know the right way to behave, but they often admit to harboring sanctimonious motives. Now, that's a big word. Sanctimonious means that you're making a show of being morally superior to somebody else. It's an inward heart condition. It's an attitude. And he goes on to say this. Many Christians are more concerned with what they call unrighteousness than they are with self-righteousness. It's a lot easier to point fingers at how immoral our culture is than it is to confront Christians in their comfortable spiritual patterns. So I said this earlier. Jesus is far more concerned with your heart condition and what that heart condition leads to than just what you do. And you hear David Kinnaman talking about it is that how most professing Christians it's way easier for us to point fingers at people and say that's sin you should repent that's wrong rather than looking inwardly and seeing our own sin. And that's what I would ask for you today is that as we continue to to talk about this and and you guys continue to listen that you would hear this and that it would pierce your hearts that you would test yourself, you test yourself against the scriptures. Where am I at, God, today? Ask him throughout this message and ask him throughout the rest of your life, where am I at, God? Let me be a follower of you. Change my heart. Now that we've talked about the frauds, I want to talk about fans. We talk a lot about fair weather Fans or fair weather friends, uh, specifically in sports. Uh, our worship leader, Matt McKinney, is a huge fan of Auburn. And in case you haven't noticed, Auburn did pretty well this year. And I'm sure that there is a lot of bandwagon fair weather fans that came out and started rooting for Auburn. And you may have had a friend like that and said, well, I didn't know you were an Auburn fan. Yeah. Collecting dust in my closet. You know? In the church world, though, fans aren't necessarily the fair weather kind. They're more the bad weather kind. It's when things are going wrong or they need a fix. For college students, it's often, I messed up last night. I need some redemption. And the thing that I want you to hear today in all of this is that if that's where you're at, if you're, when we were describing frauds earlier, if, as we continue to describe fans, if that's, where, if, it, if that's hitting you, it's okay. It's okay. But what I want you to hear 
is that it's not okay to stay the same. We need to make an advance towards Jesus. Going on with fans. Often their prayers are filled with selfish wants and needs. They go something like this. Jesus, I've got a big test coming up. Really need you in this. I'm starting to feel sick. Can you you heal me? God, I need a raise. I can't pay for the things that I want to to buy, God. So I I need your help in that. But rarely are they ever... Jesus saved so-and-so. God, use me today. You see the difference? They love the idea of Jesus, but they don't understand the concept of repentance and how repentance is a key component to following Jesus. I heard repentance talk about, or talked about like this, that if you were to imagine that on this side of the room is sin... And on this side of the room is Jesus. Repentance is realizing that I'm in sin. And then turning completely 180 degrees and walking the opposite way. But oftentimes what we do is we recognize that we're sinning. And then we go, we revert back to the works-based salvation or the performance-based Christianity and we continue to focus on the sin while feeling like we're traveling closer to Jesus. But in reality, we're still focused on the sin and we're just spinning our wheels. There is a difference between repentance and asking forgiveness. I have a four-year-old daughter and it's, it's an interesting thing to try and relay the concept of forgiveness and repentance to her. We'll have some friends over and they've got a, a, a few kids. And uh, on occasion, the four-year-olds will kind of bicker back and forth or they will fight over a Barbie and usually... Not all the time, but sometimes somebody gets smacked with a Barbie. Something, you know, it's just their kids. That's what they're going to do. But explaining to a four-year-old that when you go and ask for forgiveness from a person and then asking for forgiveness and repenting and how they're two different things is is still kind of tough for her. But I want you guys to understand that asking for forgiveness is not repentance. Repentance is recognizing the sin and turning and running away from it. Forgiveness is just saying, God, I'm sorry, I screwed up. And never actively doing anything to change. And like I said just a few minutes ago, repentance, turning from your sin... And focusing on Christ is a key component to following Jesus. First John, going back there, remember it's like hope you like it. Don't go past it, and then you'll be in Revelation. We're not ready for that yet. Chapter 3. 
We'll get to it in just a second, but I wanted you to go ahead and be there. A lot of fans think that the prayer that they prayed when they were four, the sprinkling that they had when they were a baby, or the confirmation class that they attended when they were an adolescent is what saved them and is what sealed the deal. But the problem with that is that your prayer didn't save you. Jesus did. And so a lot of the times there's hope on the part of the fan placed in the prayer, the sprinkling, or the confirmation. And the reality is that after that moment, after that event, nothing changed. There was no noticeable difference. I mean, you heard it up above is that 84% of non-Christian people see that there's only a 15% group of people that there's any sort of change. Why is that? I think First John 3, 4 through 6 kind of explains that pretty well. It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, Jesus, there is no sin. No one abides in him. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So the challenge this morning is if you're a fan, do you really know him? Because if you really know him and we're abiding in him, meaning that we are resting in him, we are reveling in his word and that we worship him on a daily basis, we cannot continue in a sin. Meaning that this, for a lot of guys, statistically, it's, it's through the roof. But lust and pornography is a plague in our culture, but also in our churches. An example is that if you meet Jesus and that before you meet him that you were in sin, meaning that you were viewing pornography and you were lusting after women or men or whatever, but then you meet Jesus, he changes your heart And then your desires change to where you don't want to see that anymore and you don't want to be a part of that anymore. That's what we're talking about. And a lot of the times, fans have never seen that take place. You cannot claim Christ and continue sinning. A lot of the fans, they think that this hope, and they call it faith. Uh, this hope in this prayer is what saved them. But what I want you to hear today is this. Faith is not a prayer. Faith is not a vague hope or blind trust grounded in imaginary thinking. It's not just believing an event occurred. Faith is having confidence that what Jesus says and does is perfect. That we are completely dependent on him And that all of his promises are true. All the resulting works, the things we do, are actually trusting that his way is best. We see this illustrated perfectly in James 2, 14 through 26. 
This is what it says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The thing that I want you to hear today is that true faith in Jesus Christ is never alone. It always produces works or fruit. And that they work together. So I want you to write an equation in your notes, in your Bible, on your hand, on your neighbor's arm, whatever is going to work best for you. Is that repentance plus faith equals works. That repentance and faith and works all work together. And then there's another equation that I want you to write down. This is something that Jesus has been dealing with me on. He's dealt with me on all of this stuff because at times, even at times for me, I can fall victim to fraudulent behavior or fan-based Christianity. And so I don't want you to feel like you're alone in that. I don't want you to feel like if, if one of these situations are resonating with you that you're alone in that because there are a lot of people who feel this way on occasion. But the goal is that we would continue to grow more like Jesus. The second equation is that works plus time equal faithful followers. And that's what all that's all what we should want to be is a faithful follower. I mean, if you know Jesus and you love Jesus, we all want to hear well done good and faithful servant whenever we meet him face to face. This past week, my, uh, my wife's grandmother passed away on, on Monday, and we went to a service uh, yesterday in Dahlonega, uh, and I think it was, it's, it's, funerals are hard. Uh, it's been a hard year. My grandfather passed away in July, and then Bethany's grandmother this past week. So it's been a hard year for us, but the thing that I can find great joy in is that both of those were faithful followers. And so funerals aren't necessarily a, a time of mourning, but a time of celebration because they've passed on and, and they've met Jesus face to face. And one of the things that uh, Bethany's grandfather uh, was talking about was the well done, good and faithful servant. And it, it blessed me to be able to see 
the fruit of their lives and how they've raised and trained up their children and the legacy that they've left because of their faithful following Jesus. And so the question may be in your mind, how can I faithfully follow Jesus? So this is the third type of person in this room. You're a follower of Jesus. And as a follower, you understand this, that it's a commitment. It's not just believing. Billy Graham had a a special on a few months back. It was a 30-minute commercial. Or not commercial, but it was a 30-minute slot. And it was phenomenal. But one of the things that he said that spoke to me the most is that when you believe, you're committing to something. It's not just like what we were talking about earlier with faith. It's not just this vague hope that something may happen down the road, that, that maybe Jesus would save me. But it's a confident pursuit that Jesus has saved you. And so it's a commitment. It's not just believing something. When you say you believe in Jesus, you're not just saying, yeah, he's real. He died for my sins on the cross and he died on the, or rose again on the third day and now sits at the right hand of the Father. You're saying all of that plus you're committing to follow him no matter where or how far it takes you or how uncomfortable you get. The second thing that you, that are great indicators of followers is that you're active both publicly and privately. Privately, you're active in your studying of Scripture and your prayer. You are seeking after knowing Jesus more. You're asking questions and you're always repenting because the reality is that the closer that we get to Jesus, the more sin that we see. It's like taking a dark room and sticking a light in the middle of the room. The closer you get, the more visible everything becomes. And the further away you get, the less visible everything becomes. It's the same way with Jesus, that the closer that we draw towards Jesus, the more nastiness and the more sin we see in our lives. And so that's a cause for repentance. And we need to continually repent. We will never stop doing that. But that's not something to be downtrodden or depressed about. That's something to be joyful about because that means that we have a relationship with Jesus and that the Holy Spirit is active in our hearts and actively changing us. And that remember that we're, we're doing these things, we're reading our, our Bible and we're praying because of the inward change of heart that we've had, not just because we have to do these things. It's a desire that we want to do these things. Public. So we're active publicly. And that means two things, that we evangelize and we disciple other people. We evangelize by telling other people about Jesus, whether that's in a coffee shop, at Walmart, Waffle House, in class, at the workplace, wherever you find yourselves, are you looking for opportunities to tell other people about Jesus? And we see this pretty clearly in Acts 4. This is where Peter and John are before the council and they're being, frankly, held accountable for for preaching Jesus and the Pharisees are going to tell them to stop. But this is what I want you to hear. Verse 18, it says, 
in chapter 4, it says, So they called them, they, the Pharisees, called Peter and John, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The idea is that once you've realized your sin and the goodness of the cross, you can't be silent about it. It compels you to tell people about it because it's good news. That's what we talk about all the time in reference to Jesus and the cross is that it's good news. And if it's truly good news, we can't afford to be silent about it because there are millions of people, billions of people on this planet that will eventually die and go to hell if they don't hear the good news of Jesus. And you in this room and in this church are going to be the ones that are going to tell them, not whoever's on this stage. We work together. The second thing is discipleship. Being a follower of Jesus means that you're a disciple of Jesus, that you study what, he's, what his word says and that you then want to teach other people about it. That means that you live life with each other. That's what our connect groups are for. Connect groups are small groups of people that get together on a weekly basis and they live life together and they help sharpen each other. They speak life into each other, but they also hold each other accountable for the sin that they see in their lives. And what it does is it makes more firm and solid people who are following after Jesus who then go make more firm and solid people who are following after Jesus. We need more disciples who love Jesus and his word, making more disciples. That means that, your fir- that first, your heart condition, which is your motivation for why you do what you do, must be for his glory and his kingdom, not your own. So we don't want to be fraudulent in our motivations. We don't want to seek out what's good for us. We want to seek out what's good for his glory and his kingdom only. Then you realize that he'll provide everything you need. He will bless you as you focus on him. The thing that I want you to hear today is that this city has thousands, tens of thousands of people in it. We don't have to go global with, with, our, with our minds because that can be really intimidating. But there are tens of thousands of people in this county alone that need to hear the gospel of Jesus. And we need to rise up as a church, not just Connection Church, but everybody, the collective church, the Big C Church, need to rise up and allow the Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts to then go tell more people about Jesus. We have a vision here at Connection to reach 10,000 people in 10 years. That's only going to happen if we actively go out and tell other people about Jesus and actively go out and disciple other people in the ways of the Bible and the way that Jesus teaches us to live. But we can't do that if we ourselves aren't living it. And so the challenge this morning and what I want you to hear is that I want you to live it. I want it to be real for you. I hope and pray that what 
words I've had to say this morning have done something in your heart. Not because it's my words, but because it's the word of God. For you followers in here, be encouraged. Your reward is not here. Your reward is in heaven. That we don't live day to day for earthly things or earthly possessions which can make us fraudulent in our motivations. But we live for the, for the coming glory that we will have in heaven with Jesus. So I'd say to you today, don't live for now. Live for the future. Create a legacy in your family of faithful followers of Jesus. So there's three things real quick that I want if you if you want to be a follower or if you think that you fall on that in that category today three encouragements for you one revel in the gospel every day the gospel is the good news of Jesus is that throughout the entirety of scripture that we've seen God's plan at work and that he loves us and he wants to be close to us and he wants to have a relationship with us he wants to know you. We see that in First John, the first scripture that I read, is that he wants everybody to know who he is and to know of his goodness. Let the gospel pour over you. When you get tired of reading it, read it again. Ask the Holy Spirit to make it new for you. The gospel is what everything is centered on. The gospel says that Jesus lived perfectly that he was murdered on the cross by both fans and frauds, but he rose again, defeating death, sin, and all of the accusations hurled at him while hanging on the cross. That should be something we never grow tired of hearing about. It should never be something we grow tired of, and it definitely should never, ever be something we grow weary of proclaiming. Jesus was murdered for my sin. Jesus was murdered for your sin. Remember, the second thing, that in this life, as we grow to be more like Christ, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. We will never be perfect in this life. That means that we will never not sin. That was a double negative. I'm sorry for you, grammar police. But... We will always have a need to repent until Jesus comes back or we meet him face to face one. Then we'll be made perfect in him. But don't get caught in the performance trap, which is what we were talking about earlier. Don't lose sight that Philippians 3.12 is where Paul is talking about how he's not perfect. But yet he still presses on. And then the third thing, if you will flip to Philippians 1 with me. The third thing is don't be impatient. Becoming like Jesus takes time. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That as faithful followers of Jesus, 
through his Holy Spirit, he will perfect us over time. We don't have to get it all right immediately. That if you've been, uh, if you've just received Jesus and you've recognized this recently, you don't have to get it all right immediately. If there's sin in your life, that's okay. That's, That's actually a good thing because that means that the Holy Spirit is showing you that there's sin in your life. I want you to take comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit is and wants to continue to do a work in your life. And today, if any of this has hit you, right, wrong, good, and different, however it's hit you, I pray that this scripture is what you would focus on today. It's in 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6. And it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, I hope that you will find out that we have not failed the test. Some of you today, you may feel fraudulent in your motivations or in your behavior. What I would say to you is that's okay. It's okay to realize that maybe the way that you've done things or why you've done things isn't necessarily the the correct way. That's good because that means that the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart. Maybe you're a fan. Maybe that spoke to your heart this morning. Maybe it challenged you rather than spoke to your heart. It may have challenged you in that. The thing I would say to you is that's okay too. But what I want you to do is that I want you to accept that that's the way that you are because Jesus wants you to be a faithful follower. He wants to use you for big things in his kingdom. He wants to grow his kingdom through you. But that's only going to happen when we believe and commit to follow him and change. So some of you I was just saying, may have realized that there's some sin in your life that you need to repent of. There's some things in your life that just aren't right and that you want to change. You feel that inward desire to change. I'm going to pray in a few minutes. And what I would have you do is that if, if that's where you're at, either fraudulent in motivations or behavior or just fan you're a fan and you've based everything on performance or you just haven't ever given it a second thought. We have a prayer team that's over my left, your right. They're awesome. And they'd love to pray with you. They'd love to help walk you through whatever things you're walking through right now. They prayed for me this morning and I thought I was going to run through a brick wall after they prayed for me. They're awesome and they love Jesus and they love you. And they want to help you take your next steps. Whether that's repenting for the first time or whether that's repenting for the what seems like the millionth time. Whatever the case may be for you, I'd ask that when I do pray that you would stand up and that you would walk over there and, and meet them. Maybe today some of this has hit you and you just realize that you just never ever committed. 
to anything regarding Jesus. Maybe this is the first step for you is to commit and to follow Jesus. If that's the case, I'd ask you too to stand up and to walk over to my left, your right, and pray with the prayer team. They have something to give you, uh, a, a Bible and some information to help you get started on your journey with Jesus. I know that today was sort of challenging. It was definitely challenging for me. And I don't want you to hear that, that I've got it all together and that I didn't have a problem writing this. I had a lot of things in my life that the Holy Spirit revealed to me that need to change. And that's a good thing. And I want you to hear that it's a good thing if that's where you're at. Because that means that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And so I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if you've realized today that you're fraudulent in behavior or motivation or you're a fan or that you want to commit to Jesus for the first time, I'd ask that you'd stand and walk over to our prayer team. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your word and that it's, it's pure and it's truth, God, and that we can rest on it and that we can build our lives on it. God, I pray that, that right now, Father, that if there are people in this room who heard your message today, God, heard your word and it's challenged them and they realize that my heart's just not right, my motivations are wrong, I'm doing things because I want people to look at me rather than doing things based off of gratitude for what you've done for me or God that there may be people in this room that just realize that they just they said a prayer and that was it there was nothing to it but they want to see that life change they want to see that heart change God I pray that this morning that you would move in their hearts give them the boldness and the courage to stand and to go pray with these awesome people God, we love you. We worship you this morning. God, I pray that this word would sink deep in our hearts. Take root and bear mighty fruit. God, we love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.